0: Welcome to Season 2 from a Lancashire Lass with me, Lucy Baxter. Joining me today is Ted Wormsley the Managing Director at Live Magazines. We're going to be chatting all about how Ted ended up here and his career journey so far but also we're going to be talking about a charity in Blackburn called Nightsafe that Ted is a trustee for that helps young homeless people. So welcome to the podcast Ted how are you doing today?
1: I'm very well i'm going to correct you straight away live magazines not live it's an easy mistake to make but um, the, the the kind of clues in the title about the luxury lifestyle magazines that we have
0: well there we go because in our household we've always called it that so that's something that there we you go able to know <laughs> so, to take me yeah. back to like when you were younger did you always want a career in sort of the journalism and print media
1: OK, well, um, as always with a lot of people, when you say younger, you know, we're going back to 1982. So um, at that tender age of 21, um, I was doing a placement year um, from university at the what is now the Lancashire Telegraph down in Blackburn. And the idea being I was actually going into marketing, which is what I was studying at the time at university, um, but went through, as you did in those days, every department. And, few weeks in accounts and so on and uh, I found myself in the advertising department with um, what appeared to be a flu bug so somebody said look can you pick up the phone and see if you can sell any adverts in this particular feature and um, I didn't couldn't work out how hard people found it I found it very easy so the rest as they say is history so um, Langshire Telegraph, 1982 so uh, just celebrating my 40th year working in marketing and advertising
0: and so after the Lancashire Telegraph where did you go um was it straight to the live magazines or what kind of was the oh no no there's a,
1: there's a tw- 25 year hiatus um <laughs> in that period of time and off I went to the Daily Telegraph to pursue my career um so um joined there in about 1987 Um, The Daily Telegraph in those days was a sort of sleeping giant. I joined just about the same time as our then-to-be-infamous owner, Conrad Black, Um, and obviously we were uh, brought in to revolutionise the Telegraph. At that stage, it was a sleeping dinosaur, as I said, with a million circulation and um, Anybody who worked there was either Herovian or Etonian or had been in the same regiment as the um, brothers, the Hartwell brothers who owned the newspaper at the time. So our job was to take its um, sleeping giant status and create it into the money machine that we made over the next uh, 25 years. I was based in Manchester, initially um, in in the centre, but soon out in Trafford Park, where we built a big print plant that I was also a, a director of um, and had a very happy career uh, looking after everything outside of London for 20-odd for years until, in fact, the Barclay Brothers took over and then it was time for us all to go, shall we say, in inverted commas. Our um, redundancy packages were were, were well-earned and well-negotiated. So that's about 15 years ago when I left the telegraph and um, stumbled into doing my own magazines, it would be fair to say.
0: And so when you started live magazines it feels like a, a habit i'm gonna to have to change my brain now um Shut talk, talk me through kind of that process of of the magazine and and what you've made it into since you started
1: okay well when we worked at the Dela telegraph um our owner would spend whatever it took to keep the circulation at one million So we spent tens of millions on marketing and advertising. You may as well may remember back in the day, maybe not in your case, um, the newspapers on a Sunday used to come out with a CD stuck to them um, to try and bolster circulations and so on. And um, that cost about a million pounds every time we did something like that. But Conrad's obsession was to keep the circulation at a million. Um, The circulation of the Daily Telegraph right now is about 200,000 in terms of print. So in the 15 years... Um, it's lost, you know, and go back one step further to 1982. It's an easy number to remember. The Lancashire Telegraph or Lancashire Evening Telegraph, as was then combined with the Burnley Evening Star, had a circulation in 1982 of 82,000. So it was an easy number for me to remember. You'd be lucky if it was 8,000 today. So what we saw was the demise of print media, if you like, in terms of purchase and um, a switch to online in part, and so I'm doing the Daily Telegraph down a little bit because obviously a lot of people have migrated to online versions, whether that's free or on subscription. But the advertising doesn't necessarily migrate with it. And so the revenues are obviously substantially lower than they would have been in our day. In my case, um, I left the Daily Telegraph with a very big black book, um, although I didn't know I had a black book of clients because I'd only ever worked for the Daily Telegraph. And stumbled around, really. I worked for AOL for a time, Sunday Times, FT, all doing my own consultancy stuff. And then some friends of mine had a a magazine in London, and they sort of said, do you want to launch one up in the Ribble Valley where you live? And so then we had the infrastructure and a lot of friends, because the Ribble Valley is a very difficult place to advertise because there isn't anything to advertise in. (laughs) So sadly, the local newspaper older demographic, typical regional newspaper, um, no poster sites, no radio to speak of, um, no other magazines apart from your traditional county titles, such as Lancashire Life. The problem being Lancashire Life covers four counties from the Lake District down to South Manchester and Liverpool. So a lot of our local advertisers in the Ribble Valley wanted a magazine that penetrated the Ribble Valley. So we created... I think it's a unique model. So we hand deliver the magazine, but we hand deliver it to the houses we decide who are going to get it. Maybe a bit elitist, but it means that for a free magazine that depends completely on advertising for its revenue, um, we've got a lot of long established advertisers who get good results because we match them to the audience that they're trying to seek. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I always wondered um, about... You know the distribution of it and stuff, and maybe if you could just explain for people who are listening, who oh. maybe don't know what the magazine is, what 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 right, okay. there and stuff.
1: Okay, so so the science, if it is a science behind the magazine, is we take eighteen thousand copies. So the, the two things to remind yourselves with: we we use newspaper deadlines, so we print on a Tuesday, and on the same week, eighteen thousand magazines arrive back on the Friday morning. So very short deadlines, and uh, at a unit we have uh, near the M6, uh, we have a bunch of what I call my dad's army friends. So all these older guys, retired guys, drive vans and trucks and distribute the eighteen thousand magazines to other distribution people who generally live where they distribute. So if you, where, where are you? Where are you getting your magazine, Lucy? Uh,
0: I get the Preston and I'm Filed, so I'm right. south Preston.
1: So, if you were in Ribble Valley, for example, and you lived in Meller, your delivery person would live in Meller, and the person who lives in Wilkshire would, and so on. So they come in two groups. Um, they are the retired, the Dad's Army, who are fit and want to help, and are great people because they'll say, "Oh, I've gone into this new business. They want you to. They want to advertise. Ted, how do we do it?" So they're very much on, on our side. And the other group, which is quite an interesting one, are the sons and daughters of our advertisers. So they're a peculiar group because they start about 15 very earnestly. By the time they're 17, they're bored with it. But um, usually they have a brother or sister to step in. So to give you one great example, in Brocco Village uh, in the Ribble Valley, um, we're on our third sibling um, of the Stamp family. So um, the eldest, Jamie, is at uni now, and the youngest, Johnny, is actually now doing the magazines. So they get around five to 600 copies. Generally, each distribution person, we have an identified list of houses or streets and we distribute to those houses. And then there's a a top up in a group of businesses that have got high footfall. Um, So that's the other way to get them. So somebody rings in and says, I haven't got my magazine or I don't get it anymore. There's probably about 70 or 80 places that are, are listed on our website that means if you're quick and if you're lucky you can rush down to the loom loft on the A59 or dash to wherever it might be in Preston or filed to pick it up so that that's how the model works but it's very it's very defined in terms of um, the type of houses we put the magazine through but on shifting sands primarily because the amount of new build.
0: Yeah Um, so how many different magazines are there because obviously we get the Preston and filed but it's why don't you
1: talk about that well there are only two um apart from the other magazines that i do for other people so the Preston file magazine that you get is a much harder magazine to distribute because as the name suggests we we cover from the filed end of town we'll cover ray green and Kirkham, wesham um bit of Poultonly filed Lytham, and touching on ansdell and fairhaven um, Preston is a big area, so it actually, bizarrely, doesn't really go into Preston at all. So it starts at Garstang and works backwards through Broughton and forward and goes up the other side in Pen with and works all the way up to Hutton um, and, and out towards um, Tarleton. Um, so it's actually identifying, really, that's the magazine that's Preston and Firewood. And the Ribble Valley is our own version of the Ribble Valley. So, I'm, as I said earlier, I'm in Gisborne this morning. where well, that's the end of the line um, on the east side. And we go through to, well, I know we're going to come on to Blackburn in a bit, but we go to what I call Posh Blackburn, which is sort of Pleasanton and, and Mellor and that sort of area. And then all the villages of Longridge and Grimser and Worley and um, and so forth. And and we even, dare I say, go around that big, bad hill, Pendle Hill, to Barra ford uh they're not in the ribble valley but i think would like to be
0: and how many copies a year do you do of each magazine so the press and file like i always enjoy when it comes through the door um how often are you doing eight that?
1: magazines we do eight magazines a year um we used to do 10 that if i'm honest with you as i get older i need to find my uh my holiday break in January otherwise I'd keel over so we do 18,000 magazines for each magazine eight times a year I can't do the math, but it's a lot (laughs) so um so I think the key to it is actually in a in a modern world which is I suppose a central media point um I've done from time to time because I lived through the 80s which was the big pivotal um switch um in newspapers when newspapers went sort of um, much more quickly on presses, colour was introduced, unions were broken. Um, the, the, the reality is I still do a little bit of um, lecturing on that at UCLan from time to time, uh, largely because I actually lived through it, which makes it quite interesting for those who were trying to study um, what happened to Brenda Dean and Sogat or something, you know, um, or Eddie Shah, all those kind of media names that people um, know but don't quite know what they did uh, at the time. Um, so therefore, I think print media generally is in decline. Uh, we know that, you know, just from the way things are measured. But coffee table magazines such as ours, we do have a digital version. But frankly, it's not how you consume the magazine. We want to put that magazine through your door. We want to make the stories local. We want advertisers to promote themselves and, and get good response. And if you do that, then you're kind of halfway there, really, to be fair
0: yeah I mean if we touch on like the print media decrease in um, more general generally, do you think it's just the uptake in social media and that digitization that people are getting their news sort of from facebook? do you think it's that um or- I, I think
1: i th- I think the truth is is that newspapers um they're not immediate enough in terms of their print form. So however good your deadlines are. So in the deletigraph world, we were printing a million copies, two sites, West Ferry in London, Trafford Park in Manchester. But of course, if the Queen died this morning, um, you'd have to wait till tomorrow morning to actually read about it. Whereas now there was somebody, you know, who caught that photograph as she was being whisked to hospital or, you know, the news would be immediate. Not some, you know, we know that's true of TV. But I think people consume media in a different different way. Um, the biggest problem is is that um, so much of the content uh, online is free. So the challenge you have is that if you, like a football fan like myself, you know, if I want to read about my beloved team, then all the news about Blackburn Rovers is, is, is immediate from, unfortunately, the Lancashire Telegraph or some incognito site. Free of charge. So the newspaper you were buying is a out of date and be expensive relative to how you can actually get it. I think only consumer magazines, things you want to read on holiday, things you want to read on a plane in outside on, on the coffee table. Print still works for them because I think it's a better format. Mm. You know, it's, like read, it's like reading a book. I'm a reluctant Kindle user um because I used to take four or five hardbacks on holiday you know now I just take my kindle so I much prefer a book but Mm. I'm happy-ish to read my kindle I think that some you can do that there's no there's no substitute for it but I think unfortunately with news news is just available 24 7 on your phone feeds bulletins and that's killed the radio star I think in that sense
0: yeah so how long does each magazine, when you're doing it obviously eight times a year, what's the time length for a magazine, sort of the deadline and the length that takes?
1: Well, the way the magazines work is that we, we we were led initially when we did 10 magazines, and so COVID reduced us to eight. So effectively now we we took out in COVID our weakest magazines and they were February. February historically used to be a very big wedding. Um, issue for us in the magazines but I think the wedding venues have brought wedding events forward to January they're trying to capsulate the um, new year bride or the new year engagement so our February magazine was a weak one um, as was our July but particularly in the Ribble Valley I mean the whole world goes on holiday in the the Ribble Valley it would appear in July Um, (laughs) if I did a Mayorkan magazine Um, I probably would be able to target everybody who lives in the Rue Valley in Mallorca, a little bit like Abyssop being Cheshire-by-the-Sea. I think it's a similar sort of thing. So we decided in COVID, the way we came back out of COVID um, and then for future lockdowns meant that we took out February and July, leaving the eight, But they were already timed to when advertisers wanted them, not when we wanted them. No one wants, for example, a mid-December magazine. So advertisers that, that it's too late to actually stimulate the Christmas market. So we do a super duper double November issue. Mm-hmm. We now do a super duper double June issue and then recover with a du- double September issue, if that makes sense. So I think we've just capsulated the best. But um, I've got a small team. They work incredibly hard, you know, and they need a break. And I think that what we've tried to do now is to produce enough magazines to have some continuity knowing that when we're in a double issue, we're in a double issue. We often then print more magazines, not for the residents, but for our business pickups. So we might have a refresh five weeks in where that would be normally another magazine. So we'll top all the businesses up. Um, so it's a, it, it works for us, I think, with the team that we have. I mean, our industry has been ravaged. So when I'm talking to you about the demise of, newspapers and magazines and so forth that's actually to my advantage because there's an enormous amount of really talented um freelance people out there that allows me to get photography get an amazing journalism done um pick people for the right job right area so that's why we sort of optimize it so the magazines normally are in the market for about five weeks apart from in these double issues now which means they're in the market for 10 weeks
0: Yeah. So what does a typical day look like for you sort of as your managing director Uh, at magazines?
1: Well, it's, um, I think, a typical day, if it's not on deadline, um, would look, I do my best when I'm out meeting my clients. Um, I've invested a lot of time in being sort of old fashioned and doing sort of face to face calls. Uh, and it seems to work for me and my business. So um, typically I live in Lytham. Um, so split my time between Lytham and the Ribble Valley. Um, usually Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays are spent in the Ribble Valley, probably meeting five clients a day. So 15, 17 clients across that period of time. This is a, a mix of existing business, uh, new business, prospective business. Uh, and then Monday and Fridays are usually spent back nearer to home doing much the same thing. However, uh, in a small business, when things get a bit crazy nearer to deadline, I you could often see me driving vans and loading uh, magazines into, into carts. I I now write at more than I ever did. Uh, one or two of my restaurants like me to um, uh, impassionately tell people why. The Three Fishes or the Black Bull at Olango are amazing. And having got to know the energy of those people, I probably seem best to write it. I have a, um, shall we say, a, a difficult relationship with the Borough Council in the Ribble Valley and have created my own TED Talks, which is quite controversial in Ribble Valley magazine. And paradoxically, I have an amazing relationship with foul council. Um, so consequently, I use them often as my kind of benchmark for what should be done. So, um, yeah, I'm often seen having fairly deep discussions with businesses about their, um, what's the word to describe it, their um, unsuccessful relationships themselves with Ribble Valley Borough Council in terms of getting planning, in terms of, um, uh, we call them the sales prevention team. So I'm doing a little bit more... Um, I'm doing a little bit more, shall we say, of um, being an activist. So we're not a political magazine. We're not we're not investigative journalists either. But quite often that's a lot of incoming. So that's kind of the week, really. The only thing I don't get too involved in, because I've got very experienced editors, um, is any of the kind of control of editorial. Uh, nor the production side, I can help not a jot in that area. So, uh, and my wife looks after all finances, so I can just maraud around meeting a few people and, and chatting and then selling themselves some adverts, I think.
0: So how long has Live Magazines and you been running them so far?
1: You're going to struggle, Lucy, with Live, aren't you? I can feel it coming on. You're going to have to, be, you're going to, have to undo everything you know. Live yeah. Magazines, this is our 15th year. So um, we've got good at it. Um, when I mean that, I don't mean that in an arrogant way at all. But, you know, we're very efficient. We've got really high production values. I've got some super people who give everything for us. I mean, this is a ridiculous story in one sense. But I have a 40 year old production manager who puts my magazine to print. And sad- sadly, about three weeks ago, we had to have a bowel cancer operation um, so on the Thursday, we were printing the following Tuesday, um, had a bowel cancer operation, but somehow on Monday insisted on from his hospital bed and making doubly sure that my son who'd stepped in to do his job learned it in two and a half hours. And actually he had done an amazing job himself, but that's the kind of dedication we seem to um, get which is terrific isn't it an actual fact you know yeah so yeah. a small team working very hard but proud of the results they get.
0: Definitely so obviously you're a very busy man. What do you kind of do to switch off or in your spare time if you have any such time?
1: Well I think um, I haven't as much spare time as I would like. my 22 month old grandson is the true apple of my eye if I'm honest with you he's um, my balance. The innocence and the joy of seeing him at my son's is good. Sadly, no golf anymore these days. Um, Walk when I can. Blitham's a great place. It's flat for an old man like me, so I can kind of wander around the lake to clear my head, reading. And and normally, but not this year, um, needs to be balanced with one or two holidays, shall we say. But um, you do what you can. I'm never envious or jealous of people who've, retired or you know done well and sold up you know you just have to keep going until um, that point comes for you too.
0: Definitely if we go on to talk briefly about um, the charity you're a trustee for why don't you tell me a bit about what they do?
1: Okay Uh, I stumbled if you like across Night Safe about seven or eight years ago so they're a small charity based in Blackburn um, who provide all manner of help for young people. Young people, in this case, defined as fifth, uh, 16 to 24. Um, I'm from Blackburn myself, and couldn't, when heard and told the tale, couldn't quite handle just how many homeless young people there are still in Blackburn. Those that can be counted, and those that, if you like, you know, sofa surf or whatever it might be. Um, so initially, my involvement was to do um, an editorial in the magazine on on a specific thing they were trying to do. They were at that time quite a small charity. So by their own admission, stumbled around a bit and managed to, you know, raise a few pounds or whatever. And But soon over time, realised that they are, in fact, the only provision in Blackburn for homelessness. So consequently, for young people. So they, they don't compete with the council or anything else. Um And I guess that I was invited to to be a trustee, primarily to help them with their fundraising, because we realised that as life was going to get more complex and more and more people were coming, asking for help, the stumbling around had to be replaced by strategy. And if you like, I mean, best example I could give you in those days, and they would forgive me for saying this, that if on Boxing Day they wanted to... Um, give out a chocolate box, a selection box to 50 people, their way of approaching it will be to ask 50 other people to donate one selection box. And I used to say, well, why don't we just ask booths for 50 selection boxes? Would that not be kind of easier? a lot of companies have a big social conscience and so forth so it was trying to get them to aim a bit higher perhaps and and work out that it was easier to get one person to give you 50 than 50 people to give you one um so over time we've done a lot you know of that teaching if you like on how to, to raise the game a little bit and, and and as others have come on board through contacts of mine and my son's some of the fundraising's amazing so you know we we had Liam Gallagher for example do a free concert at King George's Hall we donated the whole free yeah. and probably probably you know half of our donation fund for the year was made on that one night and there's the, an the, the amazing guy called Gary Aspin, who's a designer for Adidas, who brought Liam to that event previously, uh, had done an amazing Adidas-type event in in Blackburn um, where there was a kind of collection of trainers. And these are suddenly big ways of making money. But what has happened, actually, is that we've now got, I think it's about 30 bedrooms. So we have a crash centre in Blackburn where somebody can just walk in off the street in whatever crisis they're in, and we can look after them for seven, eight, nine nights. Uh, and then we've got a series of other kind of quieter projects where some of the kind of worst cases, if you like, are, are housed and brought um, back and tried to reintegrate uh, into society, into into education. Um, so obviously that's a lot of hungry mouths to feed. So it's um it's now become much bigger.
0: That sounds amazing work. How can listeners get involved with the charity if they are uh, wanting to help in some way, would you say?
1: Well, that's very kind. Well, there's lots of ways you can help. You know, I mean, obviously the charity permanently needs money. So that's an easy um, night. I mean, night safe has on website, just giving page, et cetera. But sometimes time is, is it can be volunteered too. You know, we've got a lot of young people who really have never done the simplest things in life. They haven't learned how to cook. They haven't probably ever sat down at a table, I'm sure you've sat down with you, as my kids did, sat down round a family table in the evening. You know, you teach them to cook, you need, you teach them all manner of things. So if people have got time and they've got some skills and they they're prepared to help in that way, we 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 need that too. Quite often there's a project on the go. So if I'm appealing to some of your businesses out there, we've just. Uh, uh, doing up an, another uh, property out in Darwin, for example, the Anchor project that, that it's called, all of which is on the website, but often we might need paint, so we might, might need wallpaper. One of my clients actually over in Chorley, a wonderful company, to Lighting, for example, they've donated all of the lighting um, for yeah. this new project, so ceiling lights and, and bedside table lights, that kind of thing. So there's some incredibly generous people out there. That the, the challenge is to obviously... Take the message. So our amazing CEO Jan Larkin is is very visible on social media, um, and obviously, in which case you know she's a she's the always the first point of contact um, to get involved with. You know, the we have a trustees meeting on Thursday night, and no doubt we'll get the update on these projects. But um, you, you asked me about balance before. You know, it is a good thing to put something back, um, particularly into a into your own town. We can't sort of change, you know, the current situation sort of, but we can help those who need that help type of thing. We've also now actually, I've done a bit of work with the um, Salvation Army uh, Hospital as well in terms of homelessness for older people. So, Often now at a food event, so for example, the Long Ridge and ag- Agricultural Show, somebody will ring me and say, look, we've got 400 sandwiches left. What, what, what do we do with them? So quite often we can get, you know, that kind of last minute collection, which means that, you know, there's an awful lot of people who are going to eat better tonight as a consequence of that um, donation. So there's a kind of interaction between charities in Blackburn. As I said, we only deal with young homeless you know, so if there, but there's an awful lot of older homeless people as well, and everyone's got their own particular um, uh, challenges, shall we say? It's a, it's a very humbling experience to talk to homeless people, um, largely because we all assume that it's some sort of lifestyle choice, um, that they've made, but their stories are emotional. They're kind of empowering and seeing them come through that and seeing them back in education. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to get, I mean, I can give you examples of most horrific um, people that I've met in terms of the circumstances leading up to them, coming for our help, but actually the outcomes are amazing because obviously, you know, they're back in education, they're they're living in one of our, you know, we're then trying to place them in their own accommodation. So commerce is one thing, you know, doing advertising, producing magazines, that's great. But there's nothing better sometimes than actually, you know, doing something that's kind for somebody else.
0: Yeah, I love that. And that's a lovely point to end on. So when's the next edition of Live Magazines Out?
1: Well, the next edition of your magazine, Live Preston and Filed, is to, is going to print tomorrow, so that oh, will be wow. back on Friday. So um, from here, actually, I'm not overly involved in on deadline. Deadline day is tomorrow, so thankfully, I'm released from that challenge. I will, however, on Friday, be um, receiving eighteen thousand magazines at the unit and doing a bit of orchestration with my wife. Um, The next issue of Liverpool Valley is at the end of this month. I think the print is the 23rd or 24th of September.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so interesting to hear more about the magazines and also about the charity. It seems a really interesting and important charity out there in Blackburn. So, yeah, thanks for chatting about that.
1: And thank you for inviting me.
0: Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. To keep up to date with all things from Alanxia Lass, follow on Facebook and Instagram at From a Lass.